Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, this morning in this series that we have been in called The Foundations of Faith, I'm really thankful to have landed in this passage of Scripture in Hebrews 4. In one part, because the very first sermon I ever preached stateside was on this text. And it's always played a, a, new, a role in my life and faith and encouraging me and drawing near to God and his invitations of faith. If we look at scripture, we find that among his many invitations, we find that from the very beginning of creation, the message of God has included an invitation into rest or renewal as part of his plan or design for relationship with us. We heard that invitation echoed in Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, which we quoted in the call to worship from the message translation. There Jesus says again, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love Eugene Peterson's translation there, the invitation to rest recognizing that rest doesn't come through religiosity. It doesn't come through struggling or striving. It comes in resting in the work that Jesus has done and which he invites us into. 
Here in Hebrews 4, we find the author argues that the purposes of God are not frustrated because Israel of old disobeyed him and failed to enter the rest he had promised for his people. The promise remains. If ancient Israel did not enter God's rest, then someone else will, namely those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive his grace and live differently as a result. The promise of rest, of the rest of God remains open, and that is great news. That promise, which the writer of Hebrews focuses on, is one that he comes back to often in his letter. In fact, he uses the word promise 14 times in his letter. And the writer truly believes that none of God's promises will go unfulfilled. So if they look back and they see that Israel of old missed out on receiving God's promise in the promised land and resting in his provision there, then the implication for the writer is that God's rest is still available, but that it has to be obtained or rather received in a different way. In the NIV translation where it says, let us be careful to not miss out on that rest, it really treats this too lightly. It actually says it's something to be feared that we might miss out on that rest. And it's a good and healthy reminder that there is a good and godly fear presented to us in Scripture. An awe and wonder of God, a reverence for him and his holiness. And if we understand and embrace that kind of fear in relationship with God, it has a direct correlation with other human earthly types of fear and anxiety. In other words, if we trust God and we have an awe and wonder for him and his holiness and we live in light of that, we're going to miss the other types of anxiety and fear that we often experience. In other words, we'll be able to rest in what God has done and not experience the type of fear and anxiety many of us wrestle with on a regular basis. The encouragement here is to trust that God has a rest to give us because of the work that he has done for us and that it is unthinkable that God's promise of rest would go unfulfilled. So how do we understand this rest of God that he invites us into? It comes through believing in God's design, the message of God, that there is a rest that has come and been made available to us in the completion of creation, but that we have to be careful to not be found to have fallen short of it or missed out on it. That each of us, the Israelites of old and us today, the readers of, the, of Hebrews, have had the gospel preached to us. And that there is an invitation into rest that comes as a result. How do we understand that? Well, once God had completed his work of creation, we are told he has been at rest. On the seventh day, God rested from the works that he has done. And ultimately, we are then told that the people of God are to enter into that rest. What is that? It's about the completion and fulfillment of God's purposes. That when we live in light of his will and his way, we experience a rest of soul and spirit that God wants us to enjoy. It's interesting to think of God having been at rest since the, after the six days of creation and as of the seventh day. But there is a way that God has completed his initial work of creation and is at rest as a result. And it's a rest that he wants us to enjoy 
and embrace. It's a rest that doesn't come through our own works, our own struggling and striving to obtain it. It's a rest that we receive, a tranquility, a peace and well-being resting in what God has done. For us as New Testament believers, what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. Our disobedience then we find that we are warned against is a reflection of our unrest and our anxiety. You see, when we disobey the will of God, when we don't put scripture into practice, we're basically telling God that we know better than he does how to live our own life. And if you know anything like I do, when I embrace that philosophy of life, it quickly leads me into danger. When I think I've got it together, when my own plans and designs are the way to go, and I don't really need God's intervention and interjection through Scripture, you should read, warning, warning, danger, danger. In other words, God is inviting us to embrace his will and his way of life. And when we do that, we find a rest of soul. This doesn't just come through hearing. I wish we could just read God's word or hear it preached on a Sunday morning and just say, ah, this is great. Everything's good. I heard God's word. I heard that there's good news. There's nothing else to do. I just have to kind of be content in having heard it. Well, what we find here in Hebrews is that hearing is not enough, that there has to be an embrace of putting it into practice in my life and in your life. That hearing is not enough. Many of us hear messages and it goes in one ear and out another. The marriage course on Friday night, my wife Beth and I were teaching on the art of communication and talking about good communication practices between couples and how unfortunately we can start to tune one another out in the the messages that they have to say. Sometimes I can think, oh, I already know what Beth thinks about this, so I don't really need to listen. Or she'll say, you know, Mike's a verbal processor, and he's talking in circles. I can just tune him out. I don't need to listen to this right now. When instead, even after 26 years of marriage, there becomes this art of listening, of communicating and hearing and receiving And when it comes to the word of God and the instructions that he gives us, it's not enough just to hear it. We have to put it into practice. For sadly, what we find is that the Israelites of old had heard good news preached to them. Their good news was that God was going to lead them into the promised land, that he was going to deliver them from Egypt, lead them into Canaan, and give them this land that was filled with milk and honey. And if they would obey God, God would lead them in this place of rest, that then he would protect them, and they would have this great space and place to just be in relationship with God. But sadly, the good news that God invited them into was good news that they weren't able to receive and put into practice. They didn't enter into the promised land right away. In a passage that Levi and I read in his devotional times the other night, we were there reading about the 12 spies and they go into the promised land and they look and they see this is a wonderful land filled with milk and honey. It's lush, it's, it's, pl- it's, it's, it's plentiful, it's going to provide what they need. But if we remember that story, only Joshua and Caleb believed in faith that God could lead them in and take the promised land. The others saw the size of the people and basically said, there are giants in that land. 
and they fearfully disobeyed. And we know, many of us, the rest of the story, that then for 40 years they wandered in the desert. Later, when Joshua did lead the Israelites into the promised land, we know that it didn't last long. That unfortunately, they didn't stay in that place of restfulness, uh, living in light of God's provision and his plan. Instead, through their unrest and their disobedience and their worship of idols and other gods, they quickly became overran by the surrounding peoples. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is that there is good news Uangelizomai is the Greek word for evangelize, and it just means good news. For the Old Testament believers, that good news was an invitation to come and enter into the promised land. For us in faith who hear the message of Hebrews, we know that that good news is based on what God has done for us in sending Jesus to die for our salvation. That in other words, we no longer have to struggle and strive to try to save ourselves. We don't have to attempt like all other religions to reach God. The good news of the gospel is that God has reached out to us in Jesus. And in his life-giving death for us has done everything necessary to save us. And what we then are invited to do is rest in that completed work. That just as God, the Father, and the Son and Spirit rested in the completed work of creation, we, New Testament believers, are invited to rest in the completed work of salvation accomplished through Christ. That we lean into the reality that one day, as it talks about in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that we can rest in that even now. I love the, the restfulness I felt at the end of singing, I love you, Lord, this morning. Did you feel it? Did you feel the peace of Christ in this room? I love when, when, when uh, you know, the choir leads us and then, you know, as instruments drop out and John or Bo will do this in different services. And it's just acapella. It's just our voices. And as the voice trails off, our voices there's a peace there. I love you, Lord. I, 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 I want to worship you. And in that expression of love and worship, we find a restfulness. That in the midst of all that may cause us to be anxious and fearful in our day and age, and there's plenty of reason to feel that way, God is inviting us to experience a quality of rest and tranquility that is what he has to offer alone. The world cannot offer this kind of rest. Only God can and has done so through the invitation of faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we experience this kind of rest? The writer of Hebrews outlines it in three particular ways. It comes through our response to the message of God. It comes when we combine it with faith, when we believe and we enter that rest through obedience. So again, it's not enough just to hear the gospel. It's not enough just to attach yourself to a believing community. Good news benefits only those who internalize it and personalize it by faith and assimilate it into their daily lives. In other words, we don't just experience the rest of God here for one hour on Sunday mornings. God wants us to experience that quality and the characteristics of his rest on a daily basis. But we only experience that when we rest in the finished work 
of what Christ has done. And we trust in him, not ourselves, not in our own goodness. It, allow, it comes through allowing the living word of God to penetrate our hearts and our lives and to make a dramatic difference or shift in the way we live. Our foundation of faith no longer becomes in our own goodness and what we do. Our foundation of faith comes in recognizing that we are broken at the very core of who we are, that we are sinful human beings who are without hope for our salvation outside of God's loving mercy expressed in Christ. My question for you then here in in initial application is if rest is the benefit of faith in the midst of conflict, is rest a reality in your life? Do you feel a spiritual rest? Have you rested from your struggling and striving? And have you laid hold of the promises of God in Scripture that he's done everything necessary for you? If not, is that being blocked by unbelief or disobedience of any kind? Disobedience becomes that way that we lay a a different foundation, that we place our hope elsewhere other than in God. My question for you is, is the message of God and his grace your foundation? that you have put your faith and belief in? Or maybe it's in your financial well-being. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in uh, another relationship of a different kind. But we can all look for other sources of salvation. We can all look for other foundations. And when we do, we will miss out on the rest that God wants us to experience. The good news is we who have believed can enter into the rest of God. And that contrasts with the wilderness generation whose unbelief excluded them from the promised blessing. The author doesn't want us to miss out on this promised rest and says that the prerequisite for membership in this community and experience of that rest is simply belief and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. But it's a belief and trust that then has active uh, and, and makes an active difference in our lives. It means we live differently, trusting in God's grace and mercy and obeying him as a way of saying thank you for all that he's already done for us. You see, sometimes I think that we believe that other people can be forgiven, but somehow God won't be willing to forgive us. Other times we, we flip the coin and we think, I'm pretty good. I kind of got my life 95% together and I just need God to kind of top me off with that last 5%. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have total need and we need total help. But the good news is that Christ gives us that. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ has died once and for all. There's nothing more you have to do, and there's nothing you can add through your good works to kind of contribute to your salvation. The message of God and the experience of the rest of God is saying, God, I am broken at my core. I am in utter desperate need for your help and intervention. I have no other hope other than you. It's coming to the end of ourselves that we find the opportunity to experience the beginning of rest through Christ. That rest through obedience comes through accepting God's grace and then living into that grace. 
For the Israelites, the invitation of rest came through God's saving work of leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land, but then obeying the Ten Commandments as a way of living into and continuing to experience the freedom of God and the rest of God. But unfortunately, though God had done this amazing work of grace and leading them out of Egypt, they did not trust him enough to lead him, them forward into the promised land. And when he did, he did not follow the Ten Commandments and maintain that restfulness. I want to remind you that the Ten Commandments and the commandments of the Bible are not meant to be to squelch your freedom or happiness. They're not meant to cause you unrest through, you know, obeying them as a way of trying to earn God's favor. The Ten Commandments are a way of resting in God. There's tremendous rest when you try to worship one God and him only. There's tremendous rest when you give up your idols and you worship God alone. There's rest when you obey the, the fourth commandment to, 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 to take a Sabbath. There's rest when you obey and, and only practice sexuality in the context of marriage between a man and a wife. Quick joke here, going through the Ten Commandments with Levi, trying to get those down. Uh, we're there, and, and he, he says, and we're going through, do not commit adultery. And instead, he said, don't get caught with a woman, something. And I'm like, what? He's like, well, that's my version of it. You know, don't get caught with a girl. He said a girl. He's, he's nine. It wasn't woman. But he just said, don't get caught with a girl. He's not your wife. Like, you know, this is it, Dad. Come on. We got this. Uh, nine-year-old explanation of the commandments, but he got it. <laughs> that invitation to obedience is about believing in God's message, that there's strength there, that there's grace there for you, and that it is big enough for you and for your salvation. Amazingly, what the writer of Hebrews says is that God's work has been finished since the creation of the world. That God rested from all his work, but that God is still speaking. It still remains that some will enter in to that rest. I love this quality, that God would be resting, and that he would be inviting us into rest, and that God intends since the creation of the world, in fact, before the creation of the world, for you to experience rest in relationship with him. He doesn't want you to be in a place of unrest and anxiety, of fear, of struggling and striving to try to earn your salvation. And he doesn't want your unbelief to become manifested through disobedience because that's what it really is. Rather, he wants you to obey his commands as a way of living into and experiencing his rest. I don't know about those others who have had COVID, uh, but my journey was such that, you know, it was two days of really rough symptoms, chills, aches, headache. I mean, it was rough. It was like a really bad flu for two days. Then for a couple of days, it was kind of a sore throat. And then after about four or five days, I was pretty much back to normal. But I understand and, and have felt, even as I'm running, that my lung capacity is not quite back there yet. I, I, I'm not 100%. And I've been tired. I've slept more, taken more naps, which is a good gift from God. But the rest that we're talking about here, whether it's your recovering from COVID or your Sunday afternoon nap after church, it's not about that. This is about a rest and tranquility of spirit that God wants you to have. And he doesn't want you to miss out on. He wants you to be content. 
He wants you to rest in what he has done. Believing that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God means entering God's rest from resting from our own work as God did from his. He doesn't want anybody to fall by following the example of the Israelites in their disobedience, but he wants us to receive the living word of God and allow it to be active and alive in our lives in order to do its transforming work within us. You see, the rest of God here is about trusting that Christ has done a finished work on the cross for us and that we rest from our works then just as God did from his. What the writer of Hebrews here is speaking to and echoing from Christ is that this is quite another kind of rest. This is a deep soul rest that we desperately need. That's near to what the author means here. When he links the original Sabbath of God after the six days of creation with the rest that we ourselves can experience here, it means resting from our own work in order to allow God to do his work in us. Believing here means living as though something were true. This would be a good one to write down if you're taking notes. To believe is to live as though something were true. So my belief and my faith in God is not just intellectual assent. It's not, as John drew us to, just you know, intellectually reading and asserting the Apostles' Creed. It's about saying, when I believe in one God, Father Almighty, I'm trusting that I am loved by a Father who created me. When I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, I'm believing that Jesus alone holds the universe together and that Jesus came down into this world in order to draw me up into salvation. It means that we can rest from our attempts to fix our own brokenness, which only leads to more brokenness. And trust that God alone can fix us, can heal us, and redeem our brokenness and lead us into a life of faith and salvation. That trust and that rest comes through trusting that when we rest from our own attempts at salvation, we're giving God an opportunity to rest or to work in us, which is what we most need. Martin Luther spoke to this. He said, this spiritual rest, which God intends in this commandment, is this, that we not only cease from our own labor and trade, but much more that we let God alone work in us. We rest from our own works to give God an opportunity to do his work in us. And that work is most often done through the power of his word. In verses 12 through 13, we hear this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing in the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Before him no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare before his eyes, with whom we have to do. God wants his word to be living and active like a sword plunged into us. It gets to come in and divide us and and pierce us and separate us from those things that are not of God. It's a living and active word that accomplishes God's purposes when we allow it to. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says it this way. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose. 
the piercing character of the word of God leads us to believe that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight, that all of it is going to come clear before God. And if that is the case, we might as well get on with allowing his word to expose our lives and change our lives even now because it's going to happen in the future anyway. In those false times where I think I can hide from God, like Adam and Eve, and cover up my own guilt and shame with my own present-day fig leaves, it's all a false notion. All of that is going to be cleared away anyway. So I might as well enter into God's rest now and open up my whole life to him and allow his word to do its transforming, changing work in my life. Understanding what God wants to do and being able to express that for other people is key. And an application here, I want to ask you, if you understand the, the nature of the invitation given to you and if you can explain that based on the words of this scripture and, or in your own words, how would you explain to someone the message of God and Jesus' place in it? Well, I want to give you just a brief illustration that could be used to help you in your own understanding or be used to explain it to somebody else. And I'd love for you to write this down. You could take the the, uh, bulletin insert that is there and uh, take a pen there. I'd love for you to write this one down as a way of practicing it, but also a way of allowing it to get into you. And the first part of that is understanding God's design. Just write God's design and put a circle around God's design. What we heard from scripture today is that God's design is for your rest. God's design is for intimacy and relationship with him, much like Adam and Eve walked with him in the cool of the day in the garden. God wants to do life with you. He wants to be intimately connected with you. The great invitation of God is that he has a design, plans and designs for relationship with you. But unfortunately, we then draw an arrow and the reality of this is sin. Of Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sinfulness leads to a brokenness. That brokenness can be manifested in broken relationships. It can be reflected in financial downturn, brokenness, debt. It could be, that brokenness can be reflected in addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, any other thing that we're kind of trying to rest in. Or, or tranquilize ourselves by. But unfortunately, those things that we reach out to only lead to further brokenness. The good news then that we can access by belief and repentance, and repentance is just a big word for turning back to God. When we turn back to God and we believe in the good news, and the good news is the third circle, and you could put a little cross there, We believe in the good news that Christ has died for us and he's died once and for all for us and for our salvation. We can accept that rest of God and rest in his completed work. And when we do that, we can get back in touch with God's original design for us. For relationship that he's wanted for us and with us since the foundation of the world. A relationship that he wants us to experience here and now. And a relationship that anticipates that one day we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to have the ultimate rest in heaven. Where there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more goodbyes. 
where we're going to rest in Christ and the completed work he's done and get to experience fullness of relationship with him and fullness of relationship with one another as we praise and honor him. The rest that we're invited into is a rest that celebrates that God's kingdom has come and his will can be done. And when we do his will and when we experience and celebrate the presence activity of his kingdom, we experience an amazing restfulness in him. That rest which God invites us into, which we can accept ourselves and which we can then share with others, is demonstrated through communion. Communion, Christ's giving of his body and shedding of his blood, are the invitation into rest. This is the meal, the provision that God has given us, the sign and seal that Christ has done all that's necessary for us, that we can rest in his completed work. Come out of silence from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy, a sinner come. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your to 